Hey, if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are getting back into our series for this year, which is going to be broken up and interspersed throughout the year. It's called Living Hope in a Hopeless World. Peter, the apostle, was writing to a group of Christians who were living in an area scattered across what is today northern Turkey. They were living in a pre-Christian world. And what we mean by that is the gospel had not yet fully taken effect. The teaching of Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of Christ, being God come in the flesh, the Savior of the world, was a strange thing to a lot of people. And it was not always met with enthusiasm. In fact, many of these Christians found out that to live for Jesus in a world that doesn't want him can bring persecution. Peter was writing to them to remind them that they have a living hope in Jesus that the world is looking for. Do not let it go, no matter how tough things get. It's the same message that has relevance today in our post-Christian world as we see the message of Christ and those who live for Jesus sometimes being maligned and even around the world being persecuted in greater numbers than it's ever been before. This is a letter of living hope in a hopeless world. And when you get to chapter 2, Peter talks about how you come to Jesus makes all the difference between a life that's built the way God wants it to be built or a life that's wasted for eternity. And this is the way Peter put it in 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Father, these words were a great encouragement to these early Christians who were experiencing a kind of persecution that many in the world today are experiencing. But even our trials, our illnesses, our diseases, our relational strife, our financial setbacks are all things that you're using. You're helping to make us stronger. You're building our faith. You're getting our eyes off the things of this world and more and more on Jesus. And you have given us a word that reminds us that in him we have a living hope. The world seems to be becoming more and more hopeless as they seek solutions that never work. But you are the living stone, the hope of the world. And we thank you, God, for all that you will share with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reading a piece that appeared in the Associated Press about a man named Stan Caffey. He was getting married. 
he and his bride-to-be were cleaning out their respective garages and donating a lot of stuff to Goodwill. Amongst all the bicycles and old blankets and clothes and tools and computer stuff, Stan found uh, a picture hanging on his wall, which really wasn't a picture, it was an old tattered copy of the Declaration of Independence that had been hanging on his garage wall for more than a decade. He threw it in the box, they donated it to Goodwill. Well, as it turned out, uh, Stan's trash became another man's treasure. In fact, a guy by the name of Michael Sparks saw that Declaration of Independence copy at Goodwill and recognized it as a special rare copy made in 1823. He bought it from Goodwill for $2.48. To make a long story short, he sold it at auction for $477,650. Not a bad profit. Kathy, the previous owner, was later quoted as saying, I'm happy for the Sparks guy. If I still had it, it'd be hanging in my garage, and I still wouldn't know what it was worth. <laughs> you know, when I read that story, I thought, that, that's the same way many people come to Jesus. He's kind of that guy out there that's part of their life or that they hear about who's kind of hanging around maybe for decades. Some might even say they know him. Some might even say they believe in him. But precious few have really come to know his worth. Peter told these suffering Christians to whom he wrote that they had a living hope because they had come to know this Jesus and believed in who he really is, the living stone who gives a living hope to those who believe. That's why Peter said in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You've come to him, the living stone. The living stone is a term that has pretty comprehensive meaning, but part of it is he's the living stone because he has conquered death. He is alive. And not only that, he has in him the very life of God. He is the living stone because he is living the very life of God, who is life itself. And Peter is telling these people, this living stone who conquered death and who himself is life is living in you. As I mentioned, these people were living in a pre-Christian world. It was rough. You live for Jesus, sometimes you feel the heat. And what they wanted to know was, if I live for this Jesus, is it real? Is it right? Are all these sacrifices justified? And Peter said, in Jesus, you've got a living hope. The rest of the world is hopeless, but you have a hope they're looking for. In fact, you remember in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what you have, Peter said, and you cannot lose it. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I love this part. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Many times we think of these early Christians as, oh yeah, they had an advantage. They all saw Jesus. They all heard his voice. They saw him rise from the dead. These people didn't. They lived in northern Turkey. They came to Christ the same way I did, the same way you did. They've never seen Jesus, but they loved him. They didn't see him then in the midst of their trials, but they still believed in him. And Peter said, because of that, you have an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you realize you are receiving the goal of your faith. Christ is saving you. That's why the world is against you. They see him in you. You have a living hope. God is working. And Peter reminds them that Jesus is the living stone who makes the difference in our life and eternal destiny. How is that difference seen? It's all in how you come to him. As you come to him, Peter said. Some come to Jesus and see him as God's precious cornerstone. Some come to Jesus and see him only as a rock of offense, a barrier in their way. Some people come to Jesus and see him as God's precious cornerstone, Peter said. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, the city of David, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now do you who believe this stone is precious. I was reading about a group of researchers in 2010 in uh, Richland, South Carolina, who were trying to develop a way to build stronger houses out on the coast to withstand Category 3 and 4 hurricanes. So what they did was they constructed in Richland this $40 million test chamber where they could develop hurricane-strength winds inside, and they built two 1,300-square-foot homes. One built a conventional way, and the other built with strapping that went from the foundation up through the walls, through the roof, and held the whole house together, and then they built the house around it. Well, to make a long story short, they went in there, and they started this wind tunnel in there that created winds of 110 miles an hour, about a Category 3 hurricane. And they ran that thing for about 10 minutes, and both of the houses stood strong. But then they cranked up the wind and they left it longer and they noticed what happened. In the strengthening of that wind over time, the house built conventionally began to shudder and shake and then eventually it exploded and blew away. But the house that was built firm and strapped to the foundation was able to stand strong and did not move. Tim Reingold, an engineer working on the experiment, summarized the results with a pointed question. This is what he said. The bottom line is, you have to ask yourself, which house would you rather be living in? You know, when I read about that experiment, I thought, wow, 
Jesus, that's the same question you're asking all of us. Which house do you want to be living in? The house that you are building on sand by listening to what the world tells you you have to have to build a life? Or do you want to be living in the house that God is building rooted on the living stone, Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus said that there are two foundations that people build their lives on. One is sand and one is rock. He said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. People, if you're even only partly paying attention, you can hear the sound of crashing lives all around the country. Because people are not building on the rock. They're not building on the word. They're not building on the living stone. They're building their lives on sand. They're building it on the ways of the world, the loudest voices that tell them what they think they need. Tim Rangold's question after that experiment in South Carolina is just as pertinent for us. What are you building your life on? Peter told these suffering Christians that they had a living hope because they had lives that were built upon the precious cornerstone, Jesus Christ. That's why he said in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. It's chosen, picked out by God. It's precious. Literally, it is the preciousness of God in this person of Jesus. He is the cornerstone, literally the head of the corner. You see, in Peter's day, when they were to build a, a building, the builders who were good would build first with a cornerstone. They'd get this huge slab of stone, and they would cut it perfectly square. It would be of a thickness and a height and a weight that they could put it in place, and if it was perfectly square and perfectly level, then they would build the rest of the building off of that cornerstone. It would all be aligned just right, and it would be level. When Carla and I were in Jerusalem, we went down under Solomon's Temple Mount where the old temple he built used to stand, and there's a foundation down there. And we saw some of the cornerstone and foundation stones that Solomon had laid a thousand years before Jesus was born. These stones were massive, perfectly cut, square and level. Some were 30 feet long, taller than I was. I couldn't tell how thick. They were huge. And when you stand there in front of these perfectly square cut stones, you realize these stones have not moved for 3,000 
years. They're immovable. Jesus is the living stone. He is the precious cornerstone on whom God is building his spiritual house. That's why it's said in verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter tells these people, yeah, you're going through the ringer right now, but don't forget who you are. Every one of you who have come to Christ, the living stone, God is using you as a living stone yourself, and you are being built into a spiritual house in which God is living, built on the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. It's not going to move. It's not going to change. In fact, this living spiritual house that God is building is called his church. And if you're a Christian, you're a part of that. God's household, God's temple, God's building. You're a living stone in that house. You see, Jesus is bodily sitting at the right hand of God today. He rose from the dead. Bodily, he's coming back to earth someday as king of kings and lord of lords. So how is Jesus' presence in the world today? He's present in his body, the church, made up of all believers past, present, and future who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, who've come to him as the living stone. We then become living stones ourselves, being built into this spiritual house, and Christ is the cornerstone. He's never going to move. He's never going to move. No matter how hard things get, you're building on your life on a foundation that's solid. We're a new building, a new creation, made up of all people who believe. You see, that's why Paul told the Jews and the Gentiles in the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, we have a new identity and a new purpose. He said you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to be a people set apart for God, to minister in his name, to live in his presence, to represent God to a lost humanity. We're a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. People in the Old Testament, they brought physical sacrifices. They had to go through a priest. And the priest could only be of a certain tribe, Levi. He had to be Levitical in his lineage. So the people had no confidence they could ever come into God's temple. They had no confidence that they could ever be there presenting sacrifices they always had to go through a priest and they were hoping that his intercession for them and his sacrifice in their behalf would be accepted they had no confidence peter tells these people you don't come to a temple as a christian you are the temple you don't have to go through a priest to get access to god 
You are the priest. And the sacrifices you bring are spiritual sacrifices, not less than the physical ones. They supersede the physical ones. Because in the Bible, it says that these spiritual sacrifices include things like prayer and thanksgiving and praise and repentance and faith and giving and service and obedience. And even, Paul tells the Romans in Romans 12:1, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship, your true and proper worship. In Jesus, we are built into a spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood. In the days of old, people would have to come, bring a sacrifice, go to a priest, have to go through the whole rigmarole, the ceremony, the cleansing, the washing, and everything else. Now Peter said, yeah, you guys are going through the ringer, but you're not alone. Christ, the living stone, is living in you. You don't need a priest. You are the priest. You don't need a temple. You are the temple. So now all you need to do is stop where you are, Father in heaven, and you have unlimited access to the God of the universe. What an amazing privilege. Amazing privilege. We live to honor and serve him. And Peter told these Christians, when you come to Jesus like that as the living stone, you have a hope. The rest of the world doesn't have it, but you have it. It's a living hope in a hopeless world. And some see Jesus as the precious cornerstone on whom God is building their lives, but some people come to Jesus and see him only as a rock of offense, a barrier whom they stumble over. Peter said in verse 7, chapter 2, Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Some people don't see him as the precious cornerstone. He's simply a rock of offense. He's in the way of what they really want to be and to do. He's always conflicting with their plans. They don't accept him for who he is. I was reading a, a piece by Dr. Ray Pritchard who was telling about Christopher Hitchens. You may recognize his name. Um, a few years ago, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. He was a renowned author, columnist, religious critic, and a devout atheist. He died in 2011. And I can assure you, Christopher Hitchens now knows there is a God. In 2007, he had a somewhat famous interview in Portland, Oregon, with a Unitarian woman minister named Marilyn Sewell. Unitarians uh, have a very different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, Unitarians don't accept the Trinity, one God in three persons. They don't accept the deity of Christ. They do not believe he was God come in human flesh. They don't accept his death on the cross as the atonement that paid for our sin. 
they say they are Christians, but they don't accept any of that about Jesus. It, they, they can't accept it. So in this interview, Marilyn Sewell, this Unitarian minister, says to Christopher Hitchens, this devout and very intellectual atheist, she says to him, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that is, Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamental faith and liberal religion? And Hitchens said to her, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he arose again from the dead and by, the sacrifice, by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not in any real meaningful sense a Christian. And Sewell, who wanted no part of that discussion, said to him, uh, let me go somewhere else with this, and immediately changed the subject. Ray Pritchard said, this little snippet demonstrates an important point about religious God talk. You can call yourself anything you want, but if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again as our only atonement and source of life, you are not in any meaningful sense a Christian. And he said, talk about nailing it. In one of the delicious ironies of our time, an outspoken atheist grasped the central tenet of Christianity better than some so-called Christians do. And then he said, because what you believe about Jesus really does make a difference. Does it ever? It makes a difference in life and eternity. And Peter told these Christians that people come to Jesus and build their lives on him, they will never stumble or fall. But people who don't believe in him, who will not accept him for who he is, they will always be stumbling and falling. That's why he said in verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a capstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You see, they keep stumbling and falling, he says, because they won't believe. Peter is quoting from two Old Testament passages. One of them is Psalm 118, verse 22, where the psalmist wrote that, that Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders reject, and he becomes the final stone in the building. They didn't want him, but he, they're going to find out that he is the culmination of everything God promised. He's the very cornerstone and capstone of God. And they're also quoting from Isaiah 8, verse 14. This is, Isaiah was writing to a Jewish people in Jerusalem who were rebelling against God, not following Christ, not being true to him, calling themselves followers of God, but they weren't. In Isaiah 8, Isaiah wrote this in verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people, these rebellious people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap and a snare. 
Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. You know, I have time to develop all this as much as I'd like, but that phraseology, the stumble and the falling that Peter's using, that Isaiah's quoting about, those words describe a term that used to be uh, the name of the part of a trap that holds the bait. And what Isaiah and Peter seem to be describing is when people have a false Jesus and they think he's the real deal and they're following him, that false Jesus is like bait in a trap. You, you keep going after that, you're going to keep stumbling and falling, and someday that, that trap's going to close. It's going to be too late. And you're going to fall. You're going to fall. Because you have not believed. Peter said that's what they're destined for. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. God's word is the light. It shines in the darkness. That's why Peter said, you were called to this so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. People who aren't following Jesus are walking in the darkness. And if they don't come to the true Jesus, they're going to stay in the dark. They're going to keep tripping over him. They're going to keep stumbling over this stone. And eventually they're going to fall. And they're going to be lost. Peter told these suffering Christians, that's the life people chose when they chose not to believe in who Jesus is. They didn't believe what you told them about Jesus. You believed it, but they haven't. So they're going to keep stumbling and falling, but not you. You have a living hope because now in Jesus, you are the chosen people of God. And that's why he said in verse 9, but you, not them, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're a chosen people. God wanted you. This was no mistake. And he has you right where he wants you. And no matter what you're going through, you need to understand God is with you in this. He's with you in this. You're a royal priesthood, not only a holy priesthood, but you're a royal one. You are children of the king. You are children of the king. You're a royal priesthood. You're called to live a life of worship and intercession and ministry as his priests. You're a holy nation. You're a new people. It's not Jew or Gentile anymore, not slave or free, not male or female. You're not American or French anymore. doesn't mean you don't be patriotic. Who's not watching the Olympics screaming for America to win these medals? There's nothing wrong with being patriotic. What he's saying is that's not your main identity. Someday America and France and all the geopolitical nations, they're going to be gone. And there will be one kingdom left with one king. And the government will be on his shoulders. I'm longing for that day. But he's saying, you're a, you're a holy nation. You're a people set apart for God. You're called to live for God in this kingdom. You're God's special possession. 
You belong to him. His eye is always on you. I don't care what you're going through. Peter said, you're not in it alone. God has a purpose in what you're suffering. So you just keep your eyes on him. He's the living stone. He's your living hope. See, Peter told them in verse 7, now to you who believe this stone is precious. I know just enough Greek to be dangerous, but that phraseology has this idea to it. You who believe is the honor. You who believe is honor. A precious honor in Jesus. Something like this. Jesus is honored as the living stone who is the precious cornerstone. You who believe and build your lives on him, you honor him when you do that. And so you too will be honored. In fact, you will never be ashamed that you trusted this Jesus. You will live eternity knowing it was an honor to do so. Remember what he said in verse 6? For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Matt White was a minor league pitcher for a team back in the Boston area in 2008. He had an aunt who lived there and she had fallen on hard times for years, had barely been able to make ends meet. It got so bad that eventually she had to start selling everything, including 50 acres of property she owned. Now, these 50 acres weren't worth much. It was so rocky, it was no good for farming, and it was so ro much rock that it was too expensive to remove for building. So these 50 acres in 2007 when they tried to sell it, they were asking $50,000 for 50 acres, and they weren't sure they could get it. So Matt White, out of an act of kindness for his aunt, traveled to Massachusetts and bought the land from her for the full 50000 When he was walking the land afterwards and thinking about it, it would be possible for him to build a house on there, he discovered an outcropping of stone ledges because there was stone everywhere on this property. So he contacted a geologist to find out how hard it would be to build a house there, apparently, and they surveyed the land, and what they told him was, that stone you see sticking out of the ground everywhere, that's Goshen stone. It's a type of mica stone that's useful for sidewalks, patios, and landscapes. He said, highly desirable by builders. Right now, they're selling it for $100 a ton. And the geologist said, Matt, I estimate you have 24 million tons on your aunt's property. <laughs> he said, I don't know what you paid for this land, but I estimate just in rock alone it's worth $2 billion. The news prompted some of White's teammates to nickname him the billionaire when they played with him on that semi-pro team. He formed a new company, a family business, 
The first year, they mined $600,000 worth of rock off that piece of worthless property. And last I heard, their company was still producing a wonderful income for his aunt. You see, some saw it as 50 acres of worthless, rocky soil. But when the right person came and saw what was really there, it made all the difference. Jesus is like that. So much of the world just sees him as a rock of offense, a stumbling stone. He's in the way. He, I can't do what I want to do because he's always poo-pooing my fun. But Peter said, when you come to him and you see who he is, the living stone of God, the cornerstone, the one who you've trusted in, the one who lives in you, you are being built like a living stone into a spiritual house that's never going to move. And everything God promised you is true. So no matter what you're going through, understand God is in it. He has a purpose. And those who trust in him will never be ashamed that they did. Father, this word is such an encouragement in our day because we're living in a world who tells us all the time we're crazy to believe in this Jesus, a God we cannot see. We're crazy to believe in these stories of a God who dies on a cross and buries in a tomb and rises again and forgives our sin. We're crazy to put all our hope and trust in him, to keep believing even when things are so hard and we go through so many difficulties. And then we get a word like this one. It tells us we're not fools for believing. We've been given the very wisdom of God. And this Jesus we trust in is not dead. He's a living stone. And we're not building our lives. Jesus is. When we hear and obey his word, he's building us into a spiritual house. It's never going to move. Someday, the world is going to see that what they built apart from Jesus was just sand. But those who build on the rock, the living stone, will never be disappointed. Thank you for that reminder, God. And may it encourage us now and in the days ahead. We have a living hope in a hopeless world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.